Hi everyone, and thanks for tuning in yet again. Today, I am very fortunate to be uh, chatting with uh, with the founder of ValueMachine.io and a colleague of mine, colleague and friend of mine from AWS, James Hurdiman, who, you know, he has been he has been up to some very interesting stuff lately with uh, his latest with his latest endeavor, and I figured that it would be it will be a fantastic time to sit down and to chat a little bit about, you know, so what's going on with the platform and how it came to be, right? So here we are. And hello, James. So how's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. And so, yeah, so first of all, uh, I guess from what we were chatting previously, so I guess mostly the... The, the inspiration to start a side project, a side hustle, just came from the from the fact that well, so many people have to spend time at home lately. So, first of all, how did lockdown treating you? And you know, how how did the idea came to be? How did you connect both of those things? The fact that we were in lockdown and the the fact that you wanted to create a paper trading app. Yeah, the um, the inspiration kind of came from like. Uh, well, I guess a lot of it rides on COVID. Um, mm -hmm. I was kind of like a little bit dabbling in trading options around like mm -hmm. March, just kind of figuring things out a little bit, um, mm -hmm. watching Wall Street bets and stuff like that. And then COVID happened and it's like, okay, we're going to be in free fall, uh, for a little bit <laughs> so I can make some money off of this. And then, mm -hmm. um, started trading some options and I made some money and then I lost some more money uh, on oil thinking that was going to come back. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I lost some money and I was like, I should probably practice this. Um, and I was looking around at trading paper trading apps um, and all the brokerages have them, but I didn't really like the interfaces and um, it mm. was just kind of a hassle there's a lot of restrictions on them. So I was like, I can just make my own. Uh, this doesn't need to be as, as complicated as uh, they're mm -hmm. making it. So I went mm -hmm. ahead and just made my own. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the story, like the inspiration. But as far as like in general, how lockdown is treating me, um, mm -hmm. it's it's actually like, I don't know, a lot of people are saying like, this sucks, I'm bored. Um, and this has actually been kind of like, prime time <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, it, it kind of sucks to say but i know like a lot of people are having a really bad time for everybody who's out of a job or like actually got covid or whatever but mm -hmm. i just kind of don't really leave the house now and i just program and then every once in a while i'll get bored and be like i should like leave the house um and then remember like oh yeah nobody's leaving their house mm -hmm. but like this is kind of fine just mm -hmm. programming all the time has been like kind of cool yeah, not only not only we have to make the most of time, but actually, you know, why why not? Why not take up uh, pick up a side hustle like that if you actually have so much free time to one if if one has so much free time to oneself, right? When when you mentioned that <laughs> that yeah, putting money putting money into oil uh, because there was this expectation that it was gonna bounce back back up. Yeah, I I can relate. I know how it felt. It, it is it is something that uh, I think that. Soon enough, one understands that you 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 win some, you you lose some. So you you know that's that's how it is. Like eventually, you make up those investments in something else. But anyway, yeah. I'm so. gonna put my glasses back on. I thought like I didn't like the glare on before, but now my eyes are kind of like squinting when I'm looking at the screen, and there's kind of like lights coming back at me. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna mm -hmm. wear glasses now. <laughs> yeah, but that's cool. So I can so I can definitely relate about the fact that uh, one one can hit their stride in in lockdown and um however you told me that you were acquainted with trading previously prior to this so how long how long have you been at this uh, what's your familiarity with stock uh, options trading and stock trading um yeah i mean i think like I don't know. There's there's kind of a big jump between stocks and options. Like, I think like most of the general public understands what a stock is, just yeah. a small fraction of a company. Um, mm -hmm. And everyone kind of has that notion. People have split checks before. People understand what fractions are. This is like not mm -hmm. 
mind-blowing stuff. You know, if you have a little bit of it and the company's value goes up, you can make some money. Uh, mm-hmm. If it goes down, you lose some money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess I had been like trading stocks like very passively. Um, my portfolio for like years was just like a total joke. I think like 2011 or something like that, 2012, I just put all of my savings into Domino's pizza and then just mm-hmm. kind of like let it ride. Mm-hmm. And then I think I like, I mean, it's, it was awesome though. Like it is made yes. like a ton of returns. Everyone laughed. I'm like, dude, that garlic crust though. That. <laughs> that garlic, um, uh, garlic bread saving right there. I know. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I, I was trading like, a little bit more actively on crypto for a while. Um, mostly just kind of buy and hold on ether. I didn't really uh, get it too much into like the day trading or like, um, like all the pump and dump stuff for like the shit coins and altcoins. Um, <laughs> I just kind of observed for the most point, but then like the options started uh, becoming in vogue, I guess, around like the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, let's let's check this out. Um, and then so really kind of got involved with options around March and just looked it up, looked at how uh, it was mostly just like YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, Kamikaze Cash is one that I really love. Yeah, uh, I've actually been reaching out to him and like trying to get like a collab going with him or something like that. Mm, nice. Um, Mikey Millions, if you're listening, hit me up. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, it's been like pretty short as far as like my education on on stocks, but it's it's been pretty diligent um, like investigation into that realm. And I had a little bit of experience also with just kind of like financial programming. I had taken this class uh, from Georgia Tech on machine learning for trading. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of one of the original inspirations for what Value Machine would be mm-hmm. is kind of like um, you can, I was going to make all these like trading bots mm-hmm. and they would just have different strategies and you could kind of see like the bots and how they're doing. And then um, you can like, you know, um, see if you can beat them or whatever, or maybe like you make your own bots or something like that. There's going to be like a library of technical analysis uh, Mm -hmm. charts or indicators like um, simple moving average, uh, exponential moving average. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I, I I think like that still, it could be on the roadmap one day, Mm -hmm. but right now I was just kind of like, shit, I've spent so much time making this, like, let's just, get it out there and see if people like this at all. Mm-hmm. And um, people have been pretty happy about it. They've been signing up every time I post about it um, on Reddit or wherever people um, sign up in like decent numbers, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I've found like product market fit and like I can mm-hmm. still think about making new features in, in the future, but um, the trading bots is kind of like, eh, I don't really need that right now. People mm-hmm. are pretty happy with just a paper trading app. It's like not such a hassle to sign up for as like any of the other uh, brokerages. Yeah, but great, great stuff though, because that's pretty, pretty bleeding edge stuff, uh, you know, to actually come up with some kind of uh, automated trading kind of solution. So, but by the way, uh, something that I would like to touch on, I guess, maybe for edification of the, uh, of the audience, just briefly though, yeah. but what what do you mean with options trading? How how is it different from stock trading? Uh yeah, so options trading is um there's like stocks are equities, so it's just like something that is um mm-hmm. you know, you hold equity. It is it is like ownership of a company mm-hmm. and that's not going to go away. These uh options are derivatives. So there's other derivatives too, like futures and stuff, but these are just one type of derivative. Um, they're they're basically just contracts. It is just like a um, mm-hmm. a quid pro quo. Like you give somebody money, or somebody gives you money um, in exchange for this contract. So it's a financial vehicle um, that makes a promise. And mm-hmm. for puts and calls. Uh, you know, those are like the, the kind of building blocks and you can construct like more elaborate strategies based off of those. Um, but 
it's just a, a promise to buy or sell a uh, hundred of one stock. Like one contract is always like a hundred stocks. Yeah, a hundred. It controls or speaks for a hundred stocks, and one of those is uh, a promise to either buy or sell a um, hundred stocks at a particular price, so the mm -hmm. strike price. Um, basically, it's just a really leveraged way of trading. Mm -hmm. um, so you can expose yourself to more risk and possibly get more reward. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say you buy like um, there, there's a stock and it's a uh, Alfredo stock mm -hmm. and it's at a hundred bucks and then it goes up by 1%. So now it's at $101. If you had taken all your money and bought uh, stocks of that, you would be up 1%. Also, if you were to have bought, um, some call options though and it went up one percent like you could stand to make a lot more money mm -hmm. there's a bunch of other factors in that like um time to expiry and the theta um mm -hmm. and what the strike price is but mm -hmm. you know um you you could make a lot more money or mm -hmm. you could lose it all like a lot of these options expire worthless so yeah. uh it's kind of a casino in there yeah, so it's it's basically uh, paying paying a certain premium to to have the chance to purchase a, a stock or or a contract uh, at right. a certain it's, price. It's like it's like a lottery ticket kind of. Um, so if you are buying these, like you know, imagine uh -huh. going to the gas station and you buy like a scratch ticket or something like that. There's no way you could lose money if you bought a scratch ticket, or like you mm -hmm. could lose what you paid for the scratch ticket, and that's it. Like you pay, you buy the scratch ticket and then it's like, it, maybe it costs you five bucks and then maybe you win something and maybe you don't. And that's like buying, um, puts or calls. Mm -hmm. And the inverse of that, um, if you're selling it, you're on the hook. If that becomes worth something, like if you sell somebody a scratch ticket mm -hmm. and they scratch it and it's like, oh, this one's worth like a million bucks. You're mm -hmm. on the hook to pay them a million bucks. Now, if it is worthless, like, cool, you just keep their $5. Um, mm -hmm. But if they win something with it, then you could be on the hook. So you have to mm -hmm. cover those with uh, cash or um, you can short the stock or you can buy the stock, depending upon what options uh, you're looking at. But mm -hmm. uh, exactly. Yeah. So, well, and, and thus your, your desire to, you know, to to dive deeper into options trading that was what led you to develop ValueMachine.io, which, by the way, I've been I've been very I've been very happy about that project, and I think that it's looking it's looking pretty nice. So oh, great 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 going on Value Machine, by the way. So yeah, so I was thinking maybe uh, I would love I would love to chat to chat a little bit about it about your path uh, actually, uh, you know, coming up with Value Machine. Let's let's begin let's begin talking perhaps about uh, the stack. How did you decide on a certain tech stack for? for that site? Um, yeah, I think like a lot of developers just kind of like choosing what they're familiar with. And that was, that was basically my strategy. Um, so React and Redux um, on the front end, I use everything kind of um, recommended in the Redux toolkit. So Immer, um, Reselect, all mm -hmm. that good stuff. Mm -hmm. And what else is in there? So the charts are made by Plotly, which has been pretty cool. Um, there's a React Plotly mm -hmm. library, which is, I mean, you get a lot of stuff for free right out of the box with that. Um, I like it, but the core project has a lot more stuff that the React derivative of that does not. And that's kind of been a pain. It's just kind of like missing some features or mm -hmm. it's like not that well documented, um, but it's been really good. I like, I like Plotly a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because well, your your specialization back back when we worked together, so you were working mostly on web frontend. So I reckon that it does make a lot of sense if you told me that you that you chose Node. Uh, yeah, and then Node on the back end, um, Express uh, is the server, mm -hmm. and then um, PostgreSQL for the database. Great oh, um, going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of the the crypto is done with um, Bcrypt. And what else is in the back end? Oh yeah, sessions issued uh, using Jots, which has been really nice. Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, when when they sign in and they have like a JWT and you decrypt it, and it's like, okay, this is like signed information. It's not just a session token, but you can actually get um, non-tamperable data in it. Mm -hmm. Also, it's just really awesome. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's helped a lot on like when you send in a session token, you don't need to like um, you, you just need to decrypt it and Mm -hmm. If you have the secret, like you get all this information, you don't have to do a separate database lookup. It just makes it go a lot faster. You don't have to sit at, like a centralized um, point of like, like basically like on AWS, what IAM does. Mm -hmm. um, you just kind of get a skip a lot of that, which okay. is which is kind of cool. Yeah, which is great. Um, so I reckon that yeah. Is there is there any particular reason why you had to model sessions on the backend? Because I mean, most most web frameworks have some version of that. But I figure that if we get a financial data kind of related app going on here, I reckon that you may have more considerations about uh, safeguarding the user session and all that. Did you have any considerations like those, or 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 maybe it's just part of the conventional stack that you're getting now? Oh, as opposed to just like putting it in cookies and just having like a yeah, there there may be some. Sometimes you may actually need to model the session on the backend because maybe you gotta have some kind of logic about also oh, no more than two devices can can be logged on at the same time. You know all of that kind of stuff. So I was just wondering if that was the case. Well, the backend issues it like so if you sign in, you you send in um, username password, and then mm -hmm. it looks that up in the database, and then it issues a jot. It signs it with a secret. Um, and then it sends it back. And then on the, the front end, like you save that just like you would any other sort of session token. Mm -hmm. And then every um, request subsequently includes the JWT. If it's a, uh, um, and I'm saying JWT, it's it's JWT. Token, yeah. JWT. It says like right in the first paragraph of the spec that it's supposed to be pronounced JWT because they knew there'd be like a lot of people who, but I, I know a lot of people who like still call it JWT, but um, yeah. I'm, Jot's just monosyllabic, so that's yeah, what I'm going with. Tomato, um, tom tomato, tomato, however ways. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, if you if you get that jot sent down to the front end, like it's got, it's not just a session token. It's not just like um like a, a big string that's totally worthless. It's base sixty four encoded mm -hmm. um, information, and you can just decode that, and you can get um some some data out of there. So you send it down, you can get like uh, the user ID and I don't know, anything else that's kind of interesting, username um, mm -hmm. to like render at the top or something like that. And if you go to like the, the profile page, maybe you want additional things. So mm -hmm. you'll go back to the back end and get user details. Um, mm -hmm. But you don't need to just like kind of send in with the request the user ID mm -hmm. um, based off of the, the token. You just send the token itself and then when you decode the jot on the back end, it says like, yeah, that was valid. That came from um, like we signed that when it came back, it de we decoded it. And I know that we signed that and it was not tampered with or else we could not have decoded it. Mm -hmm. And then when you decode it, it's also got like um, mm -hmm. the user ID right mm -hmm. there. So you don't need to send it in like sideways in addition to the session token, or you don't need to take that session token and like look it up in the database and see like which user is this. It's just right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and additionally, uh, you can include so much other information that may be of, of use to the client, like information about the user or whichever other information. You just get a JSON out of that, so you, you can use it in the, on the client side, right? Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. so great great going, though. Great going on, on choosing uh, JSON Web Token, because uh it is it is it works pretty nicely so well yeah yeah i've been a big fan so let's say so you already chose the stack and you already got this vision of the happy mind so how how did the process of you know coming from idea to fruition look like for to you yeah um i really like pen and paper so like when i start a project um it always starts with pen and paper uh mm -hmm. it's it's really just like a notebook, like typically like a legal pad. And I just draw out on the page, like what it's kind of supposed to look like. And then I'll just iterate over and over with that. And then kind of like 
have some callouts, like it'll it'll I'll circle a button and then uh, put a line off to the side in the margin and just be like, this is gonna, um, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. what sort of information that's gonna need to trigger something. If that's like a comment or something, like what data will I need with that? And it's kind of just like a sketch. And then I start writing onto the page, like data dependencies, um, or anything like that, or kind of highlighting like high risk areas mm-hmm. uh, or whatever. And then, yeah, just kind of keep building the the visual image and mm-hmm. then start to parlay that into um, the data model. Mm-hmm. And then I think once I get kind of something that, that works together, like, yes, I like the look of this, um, start building the database off of that and thinking like how many requests deep am I going to need for this? And then that kind of informs like um, what the database is going to be. Like I chose Postgres for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had Mongo on my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of like great going on Postgres though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's boring tech, but it's it's reliable and it's been there forever. Super fast. Like uh, I've I've had a really great time with it. Um, like so, some parts of your stack. Yeah, the more boring they are, the better. For some parts of your stack, you want the most boring technology possible because uh, yeah. nothing, nothing particularly wrong with uh, relational uh, design, uh, relational database design, and nothing particularly wrong with SQL. Like Mongo and NoSQLs also have a lot of nice things about them, but again, you you just have to be too critical about that kind of stuff. And in my opinion, if you can yeah. model it with a relational database, which is tried and true. And it runs in production in thousands of places. In this case, it scales massively and globally and all that. So why not, right? Yeah, I, I mean, like 100%. Um, it's tried and true. And that is was a reason why I was, I was kind of looking at it. But um, to be honest, I was, I was right on the edge of going to Mongo um, mm-hmm. just because like kind of the shape of the data. And I'm still kind of like, um, I'm happy with the choice. But I'm at this point right now where I'm, I'm adding more features and, and everything. And um, it's getting to the point where, like, social data is just not super friendly, first off. You know, mm-hmm. um, let's say, like, somebody takes a position. So a position is, like, there's a table for positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it has a user ID. Uh, or, sorry, positions have account IDs. Users have accounts. Accounts have positions. Uh, accounts also have cash. That's just a, a number. Um, but so that if anybody wants to like reset, they can like archive their account and just kind of like kick it to the side and, hey, I want to try again. I've lost all my money. So like your your positions um, and cash and everything are not tied to a user. They're just an account. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have an account or sorry, a position, maybe it gets some likes or something like that, or, or better yet, is like, I'm implementing comments this weekend. So mm-hmm. there's a user and uh, or let's say Al- Alfredo makes a position and mm-hmm. then James comes and comments on it. And mm-hmm. then Alfredo likes that comment. Like mm-hmm. you have to make so many queries for that to work. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or like not even queries. It's not even like you can just have this on the back end. Like a lot of this ha- uh, is happening at the application layer. So mm-hmm. like you'll fetch down first, like okay, we've got um, we've got a session token. Now let's go get this user details. And now that we've got that, or we can kind of skip that one because we already have the user uh, ID from the JOT. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the user ID. So let's go fetch like maybe some feed information like that. You land on the home page and there's a big feed of positions. And then given all these positions, go get the likes for all of them. And then go get all the likes that the signed in user has, because if you've liked a position, you can't like it a second time. So if you you need to know the status of like, if you click on the like button, will that unlike it? So is that going to remove something from a table or is that going to add something to a table? Mm-hmm. And then you get the comments for each of those positions. And then for each of those comments, you get, again, likes mm-hmm. for every user and then this user. And you can see like how you have to like this is um, you have to fetch all of this serially. Like you have to wait for the list of positions from the feed, and then when that returns on the front end, you need to go get all the likes for those positions. Mm-hmm. 
and then you need to get the comments for those positions too. Now that you have all these comments, you have to get the likes for that. And it's just like, um, there may be a way to do this easier that is in um, NoSQL, mm -hmm. but it's not super apparent because there's so many ways that you can come at it. You know, like, I don't think you can just have, like, uh, there, there's other views of it too, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, if you build one model, it'll have to take a different shape in another view of that same information in a different part of the website that you'll end up just querying a bunch still. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that that was uh, I was I was thinking about uh, something related to that because yeah, those kinds of things are the are the kind of details that you have to model in a certain way, just so you don't end up like for example, if you were if you were to use I don't know if you use any ORM or anything of the sort, but if you use an ORM and depending on the relationships of your entities on the system, you actually may may end up. Uh, so you you have the application layer generates a certain view, and for a certain view you may you may instruct it. I say okay, so fetch all of the all of the likes for all of the comments that are gonna go here. But sometimes can, that can be a massive massive strain on the database, and and yeah. there's like very little details that very little gotchas that one has to avoid to to fall into those kinds of things. Yeah, a hundred percent. And sometimes uh, it's just unavoidable. Like there's no there's no clean way to model that without getting into like social data is just kind of nasty in general. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been looking at uh, GraphQL. Yeah. I've Graph. heard good things and that you can get around uh, some of that, some of those gotchas, like making these boutique endpoints for every single uh, like little interaction <laughs> and um, speeding up the retrieval of that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I've heard good things. I haven't tried it before, but that's definitely on my roadmap to um, to try and to try and get going. Because I've, mm -hmm. I've put in some like little hacks. Uh, like it's it's bad data modeling, but like if you make um, a comment, the way that I'm modeling it right now is that if you make a comment, then it'll send up your profile picture and username with the comment, mm -hmm. and you shouldn't do that, right? Because what if you change your username or profile picture? Mm -hmm. Your comment is going to stick with that and it's not going to be updated. So you should be looking it up fresh every time. Mm -hmm. But honestly, like with the amount of money I'm willing to spend on like server fees and stuff like that, like I, um, it's just going to make the page, something's going to go wrong. Like the page performance is just going to be too slow and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to want to spin up like more, mm -hmm. um, it's been more, more instances, more more servers. Yeah, more more dinos. I guess I'm on Heroku, uh, oh, so more dinos. Sweet, great going on Heroku. I really like Heroku. I love Heroku. Heroku's been super easy, and there's just all these add-ons. If you want to like, yeah, just out of the box logging or man, it's it's been really sweet. I love Heroku. So you know, you know how you know how Heroku has a lot of uh, actual. There's a certain there's a bunch of events that they hold throughout the year, and uh, a certain part of the staff has this kind of uh, culture about it. So I've heard, and, and the Heroku people are the Ruby on Rails people in in part, right? And they they always had this idea that Heroku has to be omakase, omakase. So you 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 may have heard that, right? Like in a sushi place and stuff, right? Not too much. I don't really follow the the Heroku. Yeah. Definitely not the Ruby. I. I hate Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, I know. I know that Ruby. Ruby is a is quite quite a misunderstood beast, and I know as much. But uh, omakase yeah. omakase means when you walk into a sushi place, you can ask the sushi the sushi chef with decades of expertise and all of that. You know, you know how they get right. So you can you okay. can ask them. I want. I just want the omakase, and with that, you actually mean. I just trust in your judgment. So you, I, I trust that you will give me the best possible product. So Heroku has always had that. Is is the core tenet that that's behind Heroku? That Heroku has to be Omakase. That that's why that's why everything is just so simple and it's just so like it just works so nicely because they 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 make it a goal to themselves to actually if 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 our developers are not having an Omakase 
experience way. Right. I don't want I don't want to have to worry about setting up a server, setting up an instance, setting up a database. I just right. want I just want it given to me. So they actually like hold that as a goal, and, and I've always loved that about Heroku. <laughs> yeah, like um, and Ruby on Rails is the same um, too. Ruby on Rails convention yeah. for configuration. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it is it is cool. I, I I do like that. I've tried Ruby on Rails. I think I've. Uh, uh, I know it's not everybody's sure cup of tea, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I liked how it stands up really fast. I yeah. think I did like a couple like little um, tutorials um, and like crash course book on it. And then just kind of like went through and step-by-step step, like, mm -hmm. okay, here's how rake works and everything. Um, and it was cool. I really liked how I was able to stand up like a full app, um, like really fast inside mm -hmm. like 10, 15, 20 minutes. Like that was, that was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, th there was like a lot of automagical kind of machinations and I'm like, <laughs> how do I find this out? And it, I guess like, it's cool that you get going really fast, but then it's just like everything else. Like you're not going to know how to really customize things or get really good at it um, until you become a master. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of in the first place, like the learning curve is like, you know, you kind of get like a little jump at the beginning, but then mm -hmm. it's just exactly the same slope. As everything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, which I like. I like the fact that Rails gives you that because it gets you that dopamine, dopamine shock. Like, oh yes, I did something, <laughs> and that, and that, and that actually motivates you to keep going because, like, oh, I can do more with Ruby and Rails. But you do, yeah. you do hit the snacks. Uh, Ruby and Rails uh, makes you hit the snacks quite early, I would say. And also, uh, and for example, the, the ORM in Ruby and Rails it is very prone to, uh, for example, an M plus one queries and all that. Because if you talk about Rails with so many people in the industry, they're gonna they're gonna go on record with, but Rails Rails doesn't scale, bro. But Rails Rails is a Rails is a toy framework, and I mean, yeah, I know why they say that. I think that it does scale, but uh, and not to mention that premature optimization is the root of all evil. Always remember that, you know. But but yeah, but people that's why people get so much further yeah, to actually say that. Like it scales well enough. Like I'm not going to ash on rails to the point like beyond reason, you know, it's not my cup of tea. I, I really don't like the syntax in Ruby, uh, personally. <laughs> but yeah. I won't say like it's trash and like, you shouldn't use it. Like there's, I, if, if it's your cup of tea, go ahead and use it. And, and like the thing about scaling, you know, if it, it'll scale to like a hundred thousand users, probably it's mm -hmm. not gonna without any sort of special, you know, um, Unless you have like a, a really complicated or, or like poorly thought out data model, mm -hmm. um, you should be able to scale to like a hundred thousand users easy. And you know, uh -huh. how, ask anybody of your friends, like how many users do you have? A hundred thousand? Because <laughs> if you have a hundred thousand users, you can probably raise capital um, to rebuild mm -hmm. the whole thing. It's exactly. like faster if you if you're like really need to scale. I am like stoked on Value Machine having. Like it's got less than a thousand users and I'm still like blowing up, but you know, it, I'm not worried about like scaling too much. That's, that's pretty big for me just having like a side hustle, like a small mm -hmm. um, little website where a couple people go. If you're like, oh, it doesn't scale. Like I need a website that's going to scale to like billions of users. It's like, mm -hmm. I mean, worry about getting those users first, worry exactly. about getting your first uh, hundred thousand until your Rails app doesn't scale anymore. Yeah, and yeah exactly. And and then, and then you can you can just start replacing APIs or whichever with other services under the hood and all that. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Because yeah, again, 100%. there's there, there's so many developers that get so hung up on oh, but you gotta make everything scale. You gotta optimize it down to the last very detail and no premature optimization, bro. Always remember that. Well, not to. Not to go too much on a tangent, but yeah, and, and all of that stuff about technology, it's just, the, the way that I always seen it is that it's just technology. Different languages are just different tools for different jobs. So you have to be critical about what you use, you know. What matters is to get something done, is to get something out of the door, is to, to ship something, to get those users, like you said. So yeah, so kudos on having the mentality that, yeah, what matters is to get those users first. Yeah, thanks. I. Uh... 
I'm 100% there with you. Like if you, I, I'm just really focused on like getting things done and getting something that works. And like mm-hmm. people argue about the implementation of like, oh, but this is like slightly slower or something like that. It's like we're losing a, a, a whole mutex lock on this. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess we could optimize this, but the page looks fine. Like I'm mm-hmm. clicking around. I don't see any problems. Like let's just move on. No, it's just it's just a it's just a, a slow but a steady process of improvement where maybe at a certain point you're gonna determine that it's gonna be a bottleneck. But once you have to scale your system, or once you already got investor money on board and they're trying to yeah. make it scale and all that stuff. Well, so, that being said, there have been some scaling issues, and I'm kind of like re- even like with a small number, I am like kind of rebuilding some of the stuff. Like I have these. Some of the components in React are just gigantic, and like huh. I'm, I'm breaking them out into smaller pieces and making them pure, pure components mm-hmm. um, where possible, so they don't update until they get new, um, mm-hmm. new props or state. Like there's a, a number of things I'm trying to do to cut down because there's like a, a bunch of data. Like you ship down all this, um, especially like the intraday prices um or daily end of day prices like for the charts mm-hmm. if you have like you know um opening bell to closing bell of a single day for one one price ticker is like you know 9 30 a.m to 4 p.m mm-hmm. um minute by minute mm-hmm. so 60 times that number of hours and Maybe you're invested in like 12 different stocks or something like that. So you have like a ton of um, pricing data in the front end. And mm-hmm. just kind of rendering those can be like a hassle. So mm-hmm. I have been, or, or some people have this huge history of trades or something like that. I have been like trying to make the pages like a little bit cleaner. It, it definitely was like a mad dash to like, I just want to get something out there. I just want to get this product in people's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's kind of going back and like, all right, now let's make it a little bit more performant or mm-hmm. like just kind of going back and filling in just missing features too. You can't mm-hmm. reset your password right now, which is <laughs> kind of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, Yeah, but it has, it has yeah. social login though. Yeah, it has social login. But if you if you sign in with username and password, um, there's there's two two strategies. There's um, Facebook strategy or username password. Mm-hmm. Um, or local strategy. So if you do local strategy and you forget your password, um, I just don't have a pass. Like you just email and I kind of like resolve it for you on a one-off basis right now. And that is, that is kind of that, like it's a work in progress, but there are like a little like kind of like missing functionalities that would make a site like good, you know, and I'm still just kind of building those because I just launched recently, but beginning I was like, who needs password reset? Let's focus on, <laughs> you know, the meat and potatoes of this project. Let's just but get let's just get people trading. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people are trading, and then a couple people email and be like, "Yeah, I actually need to reset my password." I'm like, "Sorry, man, I'm working on it. <laughs> I'll get to you. I'll get to you soon." Yeah, but that's but that's interesting. So those are the main bottlenecks that you that you have sort of seen for the app, but um. Well, however, something maybe maybe I would like I would like to use this as a little bit of a sec to because I got a little bit curious about now that we're talking about trading in the app itself. So yeah. well, so you actually have to fetch financial data and to make sure that people are trading against it. And so I guess there's probably a fair bit of complexity there. So I wanted I wanted to ask you how how does that look like for the application? Yeah, um, there is a good amount of complexity for like a number of reasons. One, just kind of like there is you know a bunch of nuance to financial data, uh, being being one of those reasons. And another reason is I'm a huge cheapskate and like am <laughs> <laughs> just going with the absolute bare bottom um, strategy to get options pricing out there well not so not options. to mention not to mention that it's just paper trading so for those kinds of things it's usually fine to get data that's not exactly yeah. as precise as right yeah. or, or, or yeah, whichever sure. i mean it's not going to be perfect with relation to like the real thing but um it's going to be like pretty close like i don't actually 
buy. So stock prices are not super like protected. Like mm-hmm. you still have to pay for them, but it's not like a closely guarded secret. Um, everyone sells them. They're pretty cheap. Um, I go to IEX for the stock prices. Okay. Um, and then I get like intradaily prices, which is the minute by minute stuff. And then um, mm-hmm. end of day, like historical, I support up to one year. And then anytime re- any somebody requests that sort of data, um, I will look up what I have in the database and then whatever I'm missing, like I'll just request exactly that amount of missing data from IEX. And then on like return of that, I'll update the database with what I got mm-hmm. and then send back everything to the user. So I'm like really lean about what I'm paying for when I go to IEX um, mm-hmm. and just caching everything in my database. So hopefully, you know, like I don't need to overspend on that. And then say like in inside one minute, somebody wants all of the Tesla prices for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I go get them cache in the database. And then a second later, somebody else wants all those Tesla prices. I'll look them up and say like, hey, given the time right now, and given everything I just pulled from the database, this is everything that we're expecting. So no need to go to IEX, just have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that is that uh, is pretty cool. Um, yeah, but that's interesting. So, so you so you determine if the data is fresh enough, and depending on that, you actually call IEX and you get new data from that. I'm not, I'm not surprised that there's a business model in this, uh, but how, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's some kind of restricted data or anything, but how does the pricing work in IEX? Yeah, different people have different um, prices and pricing models. Um, IEXs is kind of like, they go by data weight. So mm-hmm. it's not kilobyte or it's not like the amount of data. It's kind of like a multiplier of how much data and how much they paid for it. Mm -hmm. So like some stuff is like, oh, you just want like the live quote of some US traded um, equity. Like that's pretty cheap, you know? It's just like a single symbol, single point in time, and there's not much data there. Or like like a list of all of the currently traded symbols Mm -hmm. that they support, that's, pretty cheap it's the same it doesn't change very often it's probably really well cached um Mm -hmm. and they just send out this big list even though it's like a lot of data i think they support like something like eight thousand symbols um it's pretty cheap to get that but other things which is like a really small amount of data can be really expensive like on the premium side like stock splits Mm -hmm. um for some reason like that's the premium data you cannot get it if you're not paying them money Mm -hmm. um and you pay for like a base of like, you know, some, I, f- I forget what they call them, units or something like that. Some sort of like data weight uh, kind of unit. But you get like 2 million if you pay $9 a month. And then every million after that is like an additional dollar or something. Okay. Um, and you can kind of scale that up. But it's, it's, I don't know, it's pretty cheap. I've never run over, I've never even been close to running over my allotted amount. And it's like nine bucks a month. So that's that's cheap. Um, I'm 100% happy with that. Um, it's pretty reliable. I get some like failed requests, semi-common from them, which sucks. I need to like write in some um, logic to like retry requests. I haven't done that yet, but mm-hmm. um, it just shows an error on the user page and then they retry and then it typically resolves second time. Uh, the expensive part is the options stuff. And I, I never could even find any options data that was cheap enough that I could consider like, yeah, I can um, I can spend money on this and this is going to be an amount of money that I'm comfortable with. Like, I just never found that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I can find um, volatility data and then I can take that and I can calculate the price based off of the volatility and then this current stock price. Mm-hmm. And that would give me a pretty good estimate of what the price of the option is. And it's not like there have been some cases where it's like, a, you know, a decent amount off, um, but it's pretty close a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Like I, I did a bunch of tests um, just to try and like 
various stocks from various sectors uh, in and out of the money strikes, um, different expiration dates. And it kind of like, it gets to be, it gets to be pretty close when you're like in the middle of a lot of those. But um, if you're pretty extreme on one side of it, then that can get kind of like less accuracy. If you have like, um, like leaps or like mm -hmm. really long dated options, if it expires in two years, like, yeah, it's going to be less accurate. Mm -hmm. Or if it expires in like, you know, 30 minutes, that's also mm -hmm. going to be less accurate. But if it expires in like three weeks, it'll probably be pretty accurate. Right. Or if so, you have like a, a strike price that's just like 500% the current stock price, like, okay, yeah, that mm -hmm. might be, um, that might not be similar to what the market is. I mean, it's probably going to be like one cent if it's a call. But, so, so um, for some, so for some, for some options, you estimate the price then uh, according to that criteria. But uh, is there is there any particular uh, like methods? Uh, I I remember that you mentioned that you calculated a certain percentage, but any other particular method or or how what does what does it entail? Uh, yeah, it's calculated using the Black Scholes equation. Um, so what, it's what, pretty what, well documented. What is what is that though? Uh, some guys in the seventies, uh, Black Scholes, and then I think independently another guy named Merton um, came up with this strategy, this, this equation for pricing uh, options, mm -hmm. and it looks pretty complicated. Hmm. It kind of is to a certain degree, <laughs> oh, but, no. um, but basically you plug in your volatility, your strike price, uh, days till expiration. All that good stuff and then it'll price the option for you um and say this this option is worth this much money oh but no oh but no worries though. uh i mean yeah from from what i can from what i can see roughly roughly browsing a little bit of it yeah it looks like it is fairly complex but i'm gonna look into it a little bit more later i, I didn't i did yeah. i had no idea that black shoals existed though yeah um, and I would love to get off of that. So one, this like makes it a little bit slower, like performance wise. If you open up an options chain, um, we'll, I'll have like all these volatility, data, um, implied volatilities for whatever position you're looking at, um, or like whatever, whatever symbol plus expiration date and everything. Um, and then on the end user's computer, it'll calculate those. So that's page performance that could have been going into just rendering the rest of the page. Um, mm -hmm. I would like to just get the raw prices, but I'm still shopping around. I, I'm still reaching out to people because I want more accurate data. Um, this gives like a pretty good representation, but I, I'm still trying to improve, you know? Yeah, but definitely. And, and even so, you know, and, and even more when it, when it actually has a certain price to make calls for that data. So yeah, so you definitely want to optimize here at least for this, and and you know, and and for and for again for paper trading or for for a trading app where people are you know the reason why they use it is just to sort of learn how to trade and all that. So yeah. data, it, it will be it will be very nice to have like the uh, data from another source and and such. But but usually if you can if you can sort of make a compromise. And provide people with estimates through, for example, Black Scholes or whichever. That's usually fine for that kind of application. So, typically, yeah, and it's it's continuous. Um, it's it's like a pretty good model. It's what people would expect. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, if the price, if you buy something and the price of the stock goes up, like your options are going to go up. If they go mm -hmm. down, your your price is going to go down if if you're buying calls. Um, mm -hmm. That's what you're going to see on the real market and like the exact amounts, they might be a little bit off, but um, it's it's a good simulation. Like it's pretty close. Oh, and it, and and it's and it's really cool to hear about this because it it means that at a certain point, well, you had to sort of uh, reflect for a bit of time on what to implement and what kind of again, what kind of mix. It, it's a series of mixing and matching and just oh so maybe i'm gonna compromise here and i'm gonna do such and, and it has a lot of value to to listen to all of those decisions yeah it definitely introduced a lot of bugs and complexity that i am not a, a huge fan of like there's this bug <laughs> where options pricing was uh not coming in like the data dependencies weren't there it might the 
price for like the most recent price for a stock or something might come in as zero because like the network request hasn't come back yet or something like that. And I wanted it, it's requiring like I pass it some number so it doesn't crash. So I give it zero. And then they're just, you know, the equation like values it as if the um the price of the stock was zero. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, oh, if you had a put and the price, if you bought puts and the price of the stock fell down to zero, uh, that's just worth whatever the stock is, you know, times 100. <laughs> Yeah. And so people were like, this one guy just, he, I, I don't know how he like kept on, he found out how to like reproduce the bug pretty reliably. Um, <laughs> it had to do with like updating or like refreshing the page based off of the time because it would like kick off a new request to IEX and he would like keep doing that. And he just abused the shit out of this bug until he made like $18 trillion or something like that. And I was like, <laughs> pretty good you got me man <laughs> um, like bro he, he unlocked wall street mode so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I, I, I got that fixed ultimately just by kind of like overlaying like hey there's like a problem with data fetching um just retry but that was a huge thorn in my side was like the like and it, it came from options like it came from the price of the options being dependent on multiple sources of data, mm -hmm. like not just the implied volatilities, but also the stock price, the underlying stock price. Um, and then I was, that was kind of a headache that I would mm -hmm. have a really wrong priced mm -hmm. options because of that. So I would love to get some actual like kind of quotes, but I'm still shopping around to see if I can replace that in the future. That that was quite that was quite a word story right there with <laughs> with Rally Machine and uh, so and the fact that somebody found uh, all, all the, uh, a bug a bug in the system. So maybe yeah. What, what are <laughs> have you got anything anything similar to that? Any other things that have happened with your with your you know with Rally Machine? Um, not like uh, I I mean. It was kind of funny to see the guy who like got all the money and then and then yoloed it on some other options um, <laughs> and made some more and Your just loaded that up over and over again. Um, I, lo I love I, this, I the slogan that you came up with. Uh, this this is the app to come to yolo your virtual money once you yolo it already on Robinhood. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to set the tone when people show up. Like this is a game. This is not financial advice right here uh -huh. um but yeah a couple people have uh have done that but i think like as far as like just kind of interacting with people or, or like um mm -hmm. yeah interacting with the community it's been it's been cool like um a lot of people have, have messaged me like this is really awesome thank you for this um people have like pointed out bugs and been super helpful one guy went as far as he was like opening up um, Redux DevTools. He was like looking at the messages and he's like, hey man, here's a bug report. Um, he just like messaged on Reddit. He's like, here's a bug <laughs> report. Here's like the uh, the Redux action that fired, I think that was like the root of it. Um, here's the network request that was associated. Um, got this error, it shouldn't have been. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> um, do you want to work with me on this? Like. He, he just was like so on top of it and just as like a user, like never, never seen the source code at all. He just started diving into like debugging the site. Um, people have been really awesome for the most part. You'll always get some people who kind of like the naysayers, you know, complaining about this or that. But it's like, how much can you complain? You know, it's a free app. <laughs> and I'm very and I'm very glad to hear all of this because it definitely proves that if you if you build it, they will come, you know, the proverbial. Uh, and a lot of people don't really believe that, but I mean, you started promoting the app, you started getting people on board and it seems that you, you create a little bit of a space. People are, are getting into it, which is pretty cool. And yeah. What about well, I'm glad they're coming uh, huh? to the site? Because I definitely have built other things where they did not show up. Um, <laughs> if, if they like it, I guess <laughs> I will tack that on. I've definitely, definitely built things where, um, people were less excited about it. So this, it's cool to see that there's good feedback this time. 
And what what have you been doing, by the way, in terms of promotion, in terms of getting in, getting the app out there into into the eyes of people? So uh, have you purchased ads on Facebook or something of the sort? Uh, no, I haven't done any ads. I think like the first 20 users were like friends and family, um, uh -huh. just asking people to check it out. Uh, friends and family turned out not to be like great as far as like initial user feedback because none of my friends or family like were into options trading at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd, I'd show it to somebody and be like, you know, sign up, please check it out. And they're like kind of doing the polite thing. Like, sure. Yeah. Let's, let's see what you got going. They'd open it up and be like, yeah, they're okay, like, good going in. <laughs> I don't get it. And I'm like, well, I mean like what kind of options do you want to buy? Like what positions do you think would be good right now, given the market? And have you heard any good hype? Like, are you going to short Nicola <laughs> or, or what? And they'd just kind of be like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So um, that was that was probably like bad feedback or not bad, but like uh, just inaccurate. It just wasn't like the target audience. Um, yeah, I wasn't getting anything like super constructive. I think it was only like when I started releasing it to people who like knew how to options trade and uh, that I would get uh, good feedback. But that wasn't until like my first time I got users who were like actually excited about it. Um, I posted on uh, Reddit. Reddit, uh, I recall. Yeah. Yeah, options subreddit. And that was like just this week. So when it's the duration of time that it's been in the hands of people who like actually give a shit about investing um is like one week pretty much mm -hmm. it's been a very short amount of time uh but yeah i i, I haven't posted uh, bought any ads but i posted it on r slash options and that turned out pretty well that was my most successful um post mm -hmm. and then i posted it on wall street bets which i thought would be like more popular it's it's a bigger sub um it's like five times bigger than r slash options. It's like one and a half million people. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of has the same sort of feel. It's, you know, um, it, it's, it doesn't really take it seriously. It's just kind of a joke. Um, mm -hmm. Use words like. It's something that's not, it's not very serious. And it's an opportunity for learning too at the same time, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of the people are like a lot more casual about it um, on Wall Street bets. So you, you'll have a, I thought there were going to be a lot more people who were like, yeah, I don't even have a brokerage account. I've never even bought any. I just kind of like looking at this stuff. Oh, here's something where I can like, there's social sign in and mm -hmm. you don't need to go through like any, you know, like um, know your customer anti-money laundering sort of <laughs> stuff to actually get a brokerage account. I can just click on the Facebook button. Cool. Um, that really wasn't the case. People on r slash options were a lot more excited. I think the tolerance for risk is just so high on Wall Street bets that people were kind of like, no, I've already yellowed all my money. I'm serious about this. Like, let's let's go. I don't have time for this paper trading bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've heard I've heard about the community Wall Street bets. There's been yeah, quite a bit, quite a lot of stories. It's something else. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a fun place. Yeah. The least showing of all of them is uh, R slash Web Dev. So just kind of like, hey, you know, here's something that I built. Like, um, you can only post on, uh, like self promote your stuff on, uh, show off Saturday. So you tag it with that, uh, that flare and then you post it and people, you know, check it out. Um, yeah, like single digit upvotes, it has not been a huge turnout for that one. Um, but I was getting like hundreds of upvotes, um, for the other two. So. Yeah, I'm going to probably keep trying to do that sort of promotion strategy, just kind of mm -hmm. post it on different social media. Uh, I've got an Instagram that I post memes on, just kind of like <laughs> post memes. Nice. Um, so I've got that going for me. I've been thinking about doing like um, a YouTube channel where I just kind of like teach mm -hmm. different strategies and then um, I'll link back to the site and say like, yeah, no, now that you know, try it out here. Um, and then also like collaborations with other uh, publishers or content creators. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's only been going on like the official promotional 
uh, period has only been going on for like a week or something like that now. But it's it's decent. I feel like there's some traction um, and I've got a bunch of options to exhaust uh, before I or run out of ideas. So, yeah, been going pretty well. And and by the way, thinking thinking about the path forward, by the way, so come come five years time, how how would you like to see Valley Machine doing then? Like, I mean, I, I know that for a lot of people, they don't really want their side hustle to become like their their main gig, but I don't know, maybe will, will that work for you or how, how is it looking for you? Um, I don't know. Like, honestly, I can't really see that far forward right now. Um, it seems like it's it's popular and growing, <laughs> so that's cool. Uh, I hope to keep... Next next uh, six months or so. It. Yeah, I, I hope it still remains a thing. Um, as far as like stepping it up into something bigger it's really difficult to monetize i'm not really sure how to do that right now like with the amount of um users i'm getting there's just no chance i could make it um like very profitable i think if you get like a hundred thousand um monthly users or something like that you can you'd be making at 20 cents cpm mm -hmm. that's like what five bucks mm -hmm. per month so like that's not really going to pay rent you know that's not going to pay the mortgage um mm -hmm. it's uh that one's kind of out of the question affiliate marketing is i don't know signing up for people for like brokerage accounts or something like that i don't know uh if that's mm -hmm. something that people would even sign up for mm -hmm. it might be that seems like it could be the place if you're like if you're trying out a place where you only need facebook to sign into and practice and then you haven't signed up for your brokerage, like maybe somebody would do that. Yeah, there's the the other option to just turn it into an actual brokerage also. Um, they have Whoa. like some services that are, <laughs> they'll act as a backend for you. And mm -hmm. so basically like you're just a, a rendering engine for telling them like your, your positions and everything. And they do all the SEC compliance um, mm -hmm. and, and all that sort of stuff to make sure you're not like accidentally, you know, not giving somebody their money or giving them too much mm -hmm. um, but they'll act as a back end and then you act as like the front end so i could make like a value machine premium and then um you just pay x amount of dollars per month and then you get unlimited options trades for free uh mm -hmm. and then you get all of the real like real data it's mm -hmm. not like me <laughs> estimating with black jewels it's like real market data mm -hmm. um so it could be like a premium model where you're actually it's just a real brokerage then mm -hmm. uh i'm not super sure where the future is going to take me i still need to do some like um thinking and, and chatting with some people but right now i just want to make it a great experience and mm -hmm. there's a ton of development to do uh in the meantime just to really make it awesome mm -hmm. um and then probably mm -hmm. start to think about that monetization later that's a that's a great position to be in because at the same time well, there's there's so many things that are pure potential right now. It can make one feel a little bit anxious about well, what can what should we do? What can it be? But at the same time, yeah, you can just take it day by day, just enjoy enjoy the process for now. Just enjoy enjoy yeah. the ride. All that. Yeah. So cool. So great great going on that though. And Thanks, man. by by the way, we we're we are a little bit close to around the hour mark uh, of recording so far. But uh, I wanted I wanted to ask you though is is there well is there any other any other thing that you would like to cover about the app though we've talked we've talked about the technical side of it we've talked about the business side of it and um what what uh, is is there any any other observations that you would like to make solo founder versus co-founder I was going to talk about like it's just really cool to be solo oh. there's a lot of times when I made decisions and like um, pivoted pretty hard and how how is that how is that playing out like being a solo founder has been awesome i think uh there's a temptation in a, a lot of different times to try and bring someone on um like before i was doing the promotional stuff i was like i'm just not a good hype man uh, i i want somebody who just has a lot more enthusiasm than me and is just gonna be able to go out there take customer feedback um manage the community and just kind of do all this basically like what i'm doing right now like hey alfredo you know can i come on your podcast mm -hmm. i want to talk about billion machine uh, there would be somebody else to do that and 
I don't know, a lot of the tech stuff too, like, oh, here's a problem that's really complicated. I wish, or there's like a lot of features I need to build. I wish I had somebody else that could also build with me. Um, it's really tempting to try and like, to try and justify uh, whatever the reason. Like I need a co-founder because X, Y, Z, but um, yeah, like I'm really glad I didn't because there's so many situations where I had to take like a big, uh, change in what I was doing. Like I, I started off with a Python server first. Um, oh. It was Flask. And then I, at one point I was just like, fuck Flask. I hate this. <laughs> Deployment sucks. Um, just handling JSON sucks. Everything about this is terrible. Um, and so I just started over completely and I rewrote the entire thing in Node. If I had like a co-founder, they would probably be like, no, let's just, they might have said, no, let's just push through and do everything um, in Flask. We've already come this far. And I just mm -hmm. I just don't want to have that fight, you know, or like I had some ideas for like, I don't think that we should be doing um, the positions are like they, they're like more nouns. Like if you if you're trading on like a brokerage, the that will if you make a trade, that is just an adjustment to your account. Your account mm -hmm. has positions and cash. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to switch this so it's more like instead of a modifier of an account, it stands by itself. It's standalone, and then you can put those those are those nouns, no longer verbs, but nouns. They stand alone. You can't sell like half of your position if you open a position for fifty like stocks. You can't sell twenty five of them. They're only open and closed. Mm -hmm. And that was like a decision that I made. That I was like, this is going to transform it into like an Instagram kind of feed. Um, or a Facebook kind of feed. And I, th I talked to like a couple people and everyone was like, that's stupid. I don't get that. People just want to <laughs> see like what they always see. And I was like, "This is no, this is my big idea. No, but and then if I had a co-founder, they might've said no. And then it would have been a fight. And I just really love having like 100% control over this. A lot of a lot of VCs will, out, will actually tell you that implementing social features like those, like there, there's so many other apps on the market for, I don't know, not only for trading, for video or whichever other media, right? And they, they're always yeah. trying to bolt on social features onto them because it has value. So yeah, so great going on that. Yeah. So all of this discussion has been fantastic, by the way, James. But I think that it's, uh, yeah, this is a good time to wrap up. Minor minor question, maybe very briefly, perhaps, just being sure. being respectful of your time. But something that I like to ask every guest into my podcast is to, what's your motto? What's your... Uh, if you have if you have something to advise to people, what what would you tell them? Uh, <laughs> what's my motto? Uh, hard and fast, man. Hard and fast. <laughs> hard and fast, right on. That's the way. That's the way things gotta get done. <laughs> All right, thanks, man. I appreciate being on here. Take yeah. care, right? Thanks so much, and I'm certain that there's probably gonna be many other occasions to you know to come onto the podcast, and so. Looking forward to that, James. And thanks for being on the show. I hope so. Thanks again. Take care.